Welcome to the uh, Midlife Athlete Podcast. And I'm uh, one of your hosts, Jason, and um, the other, Greg. How are you? Very well, sir. Very well. You're looking good, mate. Looking good. <laughs> so we um, we went through uh, one of the limbs of the training uh, leg, if you like, of the of the framework, which was around aerobic stuff and VO two. Um, but an equally important leg um, is um, strength. Mm. Yes, over to me. Over to you, because you love strength. Yeah, I love love strength. (laughs) I love strength, I do. (laughs) Um, It's. uh, I'm looking at my notes, thinking, God, this could be quite a long podcast. (laughs) We might we might split it into two. I don't know. Do I need to go and get a cup of tea? Let me get on. Well, we can always press pause. We can always have a little pause halfway through. We'll see. If I, if I, if I make the cutting throat sign, then we'll know. Let's press pause. Go and get a cup of tea. Um, okay. So without further ado, so strength training. Um, so effectively, this is your um, high-intensity intermittent bouts of exercise. Um, so, and um, we mentioned before about ATP, adenosine triphosphate, which is part of the process. Um, it's the breaking down of that triphosphate thing into a diphosphate. So you lose a, lose a phosphate. It's the release of that energy that gives us energy in our system. And it's, and, but with um, strength training, you need to replenish that ATP much quicker than if you're just doing it through the aerobic um, side of stuff, which is why we fatigue quicker with your strength training. Um, Strength training utilizes the, the phosphagen system and the glycolytic system. Again, uh, you should be familiar with this having listened to the other podcasts. So the phosphagen system is your high-end stuff, can't last very long. Your glycolytic is using your, your glucose stores, effectively. So, um, um, and the aerobic system is involved, um, but uh, um, but very lim- in a very limited manner. Uh, um, it's not absent, you know. It's still there. It's in the background, but the aerobic system is not as as uh, taxed in this um, as the phosphagen and the glycolytic. But it is important. The aerobic system is important because that's that's re- that's where you get the recovery between the bouts of exercise. So in your between your sets or whatever it might be, um, you're recovering your energy, your lost energy source, and you're expelling all those metabolites which you've built up during your uh, during your uh, training so um, the aerobic system is there but and still very important so what are the benefits of strength training um, increased strength funny enough <laughs> and okay. uh, we should just say what um, what what do you mean by strength training is it is it it's not just lifting weights is it no 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 well, well I was going to come on to those different types of training but I'll, I can do that now but basically you've got resistance training um, which is weights um uh resist, even resistance bands uh, your body weight so free weights or machines um you've got bands resistance bands which are quite popular um your body weight stuff um so hanging off you know doing a chin up for instance um but there's also things like plyometrics which is that sort of uh, bounding jumping hopping skipping that sort of stuff which gives you which, which is um uh part of power based uh always power based um Speed, speed work, agility work, um, and then you sort of interval training, high intensity interval training on a bike, etc. So there is um, 
there's lots of different types. But you know, when we're talking about it, uh, we always people probably in their heads they picture lifting weights in a gym. Mm. Um, but there's there's many different there's different aspects of it. Um, the benefits of all this is uh, or can be um, increasing strength, obviously. Um, uh, how much, in other words, how much force can you exert? How much force can you can your muscles produce? Okay, uh, there's power, and now remember, power is a product of speed. So if you're picking up a heavy weight and you hold it still, your power is the power is effectively zero. You're producing force, you've got you're showing strength, but power is zero because you're not because there's no speed involved. Um, the benefits can also be hypertrophy, so you get bigger hypertrophy, you get bigger muscles, uh, increased muscle endurance, um, get increased better motor skills and coordination. Um, so the benefits are, are are big and noteworthy. Yeah, well, um, just, just, just on that point, Greg, um, yeah. I came across a paper um, a couple of weeks ago, which I've, I've meant to send on to you, but I don't think I did. But it also suggests now that there's a link between um, strength training and our cognitive system, uh, which well, is quite you interesting. Pre-empted you. <laughs> you pre-empted. Oh, I preempted you. Oh, okay. Well, I'm sorry. I, I've I've stolen no, no. your thunder. <laughs> no, 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 not at all, not at all. Um, but so with strength training, what cha- what what are the changes that we see? So we'll start with the neural stuff, the neural neural adaptations. Um, which are quite extensive. So when you're dealing with increased um, muscular um, strength, so muscular strength, power, speed, um, these are these are integral parts of your anaerobic um, uh, training, and they depend on having an, an optimal neural recruitment. Um, so basically, your brain telling your muscles to to do the right thing at the right time. Uh, the right speed um so for maximal performance you need uh, and quality and the and quality training you need you need um so optimal neural involvement effectively and that that sort of goes by the by doesn't it um uh but the potential to to elicit long-term adaptations to the nervous system is is quite extensive so so you you you're the, the the higher brain centers um all the way down to your individual motor neurons will change as a, as a response to to um to, to to strength training but particularly if you're coming at it fresh you've never really done it much before you're learning these are skills it's a skill acquisition and that requires cognitive um improvements so it is it is skill um you're learning a skill um, and 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 with that become, comes the benefits of of, of cognitive adaptations, particularly and particularly as we're getting up. Um, is that is that was that sort of along mm. the lines of what you were thinking? Yeah, no, it, it was exactly. It was talking about how the mm. how the the sheer uh, fact of doing strength or, or resistance training. Let's let's sort of keep it broader. Uh, you know, does does really hinge on these neurobiological processes that you're talking about? In other words, you know, as you say, the, the, the connections between the brain and the, and the muscle, um, and and how um, it sort of it seems to strengthen them, um, or you know, at least keep them fairly intact, as opposed to us kind of gradually yeah. losing them as we get older. So um, I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, yeah, no, it is, it is, and yeah, I, 
there's there's more to come. I mean, there's the, from the neural adaptations uh, point of view, it's it's it's, so it's quite extensive. Um, so when you're looking at um, uh, so it's, again with strength training, you've got the increase in what we call the agonist muscle involvement. Now, quick uh, terminology here: agonist and antagonists are, are when you're looking at something like a, a standing bicep curl with a dumbbell. Let's say your bicep is shortening. It's got concentric um, uh, shortening, and then the ice, and then the eccentric lengthening of the muscle as, as you lower the weight to the ground or, or towards the floor. Um, so that's that's the, the bicep is the agonist, the antagonist is the tricep. So it's doing the opposite thing. Okay, that's just a, um, a um, just terminology. Um, so obviously, when you're doing a bicep curl and you're training that, um, the agonist muscle, the bicep there's increased involvement in it so it's going to get stronger um you get a thing called increased nerve firing rate so basically the nerves that the neurons coming in and, and targeting the the muscle fibers in the muscle their firing rate increases uh, which we'll come on to what why that's important in a second um it also increases the the timing of 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 when those all those different motor motor units fire up effectively so it's what we call a synchronous recruitment. We mentioned it before. So when you're doing an aerobic, you're going for a long, long walk or a long bike ride or a long run, the muscles are being recruited or the muscle fibers are being recruited asynchronously. It's just a bit more random, which means you can go on for longer. So some actually some muscle fibers being recruited are being arrested and others are being recruited. Then it swaps over. So that means you can go for longer. They don't fatigue as quickly. But when you're doing strength training, um, you know, the key is that you're actually wanting more of the muscle coming on at the same time, but it means you're going to fatigue quicker. Um, but the timing of that, of bringing those muscles on, is actually uh, improves. So you're training the muscle, the, the brain, to recruit more of the muscle at, the, at a given time. Um, and you also get, uh, there's, there's some protective mechanisms, some inhibitory mechanisms, which will stop us from overdoing things. And they can be down trained a bit uh, to allow us to go harder effectively. Um, and that comes that sort of comes back to a point we've made on previous podcasts around um, thinking when you're doing the exercise. Um, yeah, because I yeah. think if you're you know back to your point about um, you know the nerve cells firing and trying to activate that muscle, actually, the sort of probably the more thought you apply to that, the better results you're probably going to going to get. Yeah, the the intent. It's the intent with you know, and I've said I've said it a, I've said it a long time with my clients is that you know the exercise and exercise. If you're given an exercise or you go online and you or you read a magazine and it says this exercise works your glutes, this exercise works your abs. Okay, there is there is a certain element of truth in that. This exercise theoretically is designed to work your glutes. But if your brain has worked out a way to do it without using your glutes or using your glutes less efficiently, you will do that that exercise with less efficiency. Mm. So the intent is important. So just standing there doing a bicep curl, sometimes is enough. You think, well, how am I doing it? If I engage myself differently using other muscles to help to help the movement, and we call it a synergistic way, so synergistic muscle activity, to allow the, the agonist, the bicep, to do the work, you can get actually feel you actually can actually feel easier. 
you get it with clients all the time, just changing their their positioning, changing their movement, their their, their intent, their um, how they perform, what they're thinking about, how to think about the exercise differently, can change immediately change their perception of effort. So they can feel stronger in a moment, like a click of the finger, bang, they feel stronger for the same load. When tested before, felt weak. They felt, oh, that feels heavy. Then suddenly, oh god, that feels lighter. And it's one rep difference. That's not, not that's not the muscle suddenly becoming stronger. It's just everything working a little bit more efficiently. So quality is 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 so key to all this. But anyway, that's 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 another soapbox <laughs> for me to get on later. Um, so. And, and, and what's important, as I've just mentioned, that the neural adaptations occur before any structural changes in skeletal muscle are apparent. Um, and with the aerobic stuff and with the and with the strength training, you can see increases increase in the mitochondria, the, the number that the, the, the hyperplasia mm. increase in numbers of your mitochondria in cells within forty eight hours of exercise, of about of exercise. So, but you won't feel that you won't necessarily feel that 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 increase in number everything's having a such a you know small cellular level um so but but change still occurring but you're not going to see that sort of bigger biceps <laughs> in six weeks <laughs> um that uh, that can be claimed anyway but that but but the neural adaptations are they are occurring very quickly so you're if you're starting from a low point in terms of strength never you've done much you'll feel your, the strength gains really quickly. That will plateau or begin to slow, it'll slow down and begin to plateau. Um, but but your your strength gains can be can be very rapid. So um, so when we look at the brain, so what we call the central neural adaptation, central changes. So to increase your motor unit activation, remember a motor unit is a, is a nerve, motor neuron, a, a muscle nerve, and it's and the, and it's and, and the nerve and the muscle fibers it supplies. So to increase the motor unit activation, there has to be intent, okay, in the higher brain centers to promote maximal muscle force. So you have to you have to think strong. <laughs> you have to think big. You know, it's it, it, it. You look at a weight and you think, okay, I'm just going to pick it up. It doesn't happen like that. You've got to got to prepare yourself <laughs> in a way. But as the level of the force increases or when a new exercise or movement is being learned, so if you're doing the same thing over and over again and you've hit a bit of a bit of a sort of exercise plateau, not really changing much, if you then do something new or suddenly increase the weight or whatever it might be, the motor cortex act the mo- your brain has to work harder. Okay. And and um, in an effort to support the need for more muscle activity. So your brain is forever adapting to what you're throwing at it. But if, but if you just do the same thing all the time and no change at all, don't increase the weight, do the same exercise day in, day out, whatever it might be, you, you, you're just going to plateau and not, and not change. You'll, you'll be exercising, that's fine, but you're not going to see much change beyond what's already happened. Um, so and when, when you're looking, when you're looking at these sort of trained to untrained athlete, um, then you're or athletes to an untrained person. You know, you're, if you want to produce the, mo- the most force you can get, you know, the maximal force, you need as much of that muscle re- being recruited at once as you can. Um, 
but they've shown that you know, in the untrained person, the maximum the maximum amount of muscle that can be recruited can be something like seventy percent. So it's thirty percent of the muscle tissue just not being used. I mean, incredibly inefficient. And it, and that's just down to neurological processes, I'm guessing. Uh, yeah, yeah. So you know, if you if you stop training because you're injured, or you just stop training for whatever reason, um, your your muscles will. If you've been doing lots of weight training, you, you get smaller. You you begin to atrophy. That's just you're just losing proteins within the muscle. You're not necessarily losing muscle fibers. So the muscle fibers are there to be recruited. They're just waiting to be used. It's whether your brain chooses to use them. That's the that's the key. So you know, I like I liken a muscle. Try to explain it to a client. So I'm liking it to, you know, you've got let's say your gluteus maximus, biggest muscle in the body. You know, tens of thousands of muscle fibers in that muscle. You think of each muscle fiber as being a light bulb, tiny little light bulb. Yeah, you know, how much of your muscle can you light up in one go? Yeah, you know, and and if it's if it's not, you know, if you say well. And with a lot of my clients, you know, they're pretty much asymmetrical. They've got they've got a weak they've got a weakness on one side compared to the other. So when you compare the two, you know, gluteus maximus on the left compared to the right, one of them is weaker. You think, well, and they do a bit of a, a guesstimate. So well, it feels thirty percent weaker. So you got thirty percent of your muscle, you're not using it. You know, it, it's just dormant. Mm. But if you if you actually recruit it, if you think about it, you can start to get that muscle woken up and very quickly, yeah, within minutes. Patients are feeling a difference. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, it's it's uh, changes can occur really quickly, which is which is brilliant. Yeah, um, and and obviously the long we'll come on to the longer term benefits um, um, in in a moment. Um, so, to produce maximal force, you need all the available motor units in a muscle to be activated. So, you've got to switch on as much of that muscle as you can to produce your maximal force. Um, and the, and the brain does it in a different ways. So you can so by increasing the frequency of the firing rate. So in other words, the, the impulse is coming down to that muscle fiber. If you just do it once, it tends to the muscle doesn't actually active. There's not enough activation or neural neural uh, stimulus to actually produce a contraction. But if you keep doing it, then you get the sort of summation and the muscle fiber uh, the, the muscle fiber com, comes on and stays on. So you get an increased muscle force production um um but the, but the but the downside is you fatigue quickly but mm. with training you can learn to fatigue less quickly <laughs> which is the whole point of training um so as the agonist as the bicep for instance in this case gets stronger uh or more powerful um you get in, what we're seeing is an increase in the recruit of the muscle so more motor units are coming on for that exercise okay uh, the rate of firing increases so there's those, those motor units are just being told to keep on going and keep on going um better synchronization with that with the within the muscle but also again with its against its antagonist so the tricep is allowing the, the movement to occur that's important as well so if you're if you're co-contracting across a joint then then you're fighting yourself almost um, and that, that's quite an important point later when we come up things like balance and, and when you're old, older and you become more doddery effectively, effectively. It's because you're, you don't have that coordination across the joint as efficiently. Um, 
So, uh, yeah, so that's, that's um, so neural adaptations. Um, was, are we still going with it? With the next thing? Looking at my notes, sorry. Um, so when we talk, we talk about the order of recruitment and the size principle. So the order of recruitment is literally you get your type ones come on first, and then your type twos come on last. Um, so um, so as demand for more for uh, for, for an increase in force goes up from low to high, there is a pecking order in the motor unit recruitment. So remember we talked about the all or none rule. So basically a motor unit is either on or off. Um, there's no in between. So for a fine, you know, you're, you're a watchmaker putting a small cog into a clock, you know, the fine control you need, okay, just small number of motor, motor units coming on, not yet you know, the force involved is tiny compared to a power lifter uh, lifting up half a tonne. You know, the there's there's um, uh, the muscles are either muscle units are either on or off, but with the power lift, there's just more of them on. <laughs> yeah, um, and at that, one time, and that explains why you're saying that you know you do actually engage the aerobic system when you when you do strength mm. training because essentially they get turned on force, uh, they get turned on first, um, yeah, and then it proceeds very very quickly to to the type two. Yeah. Yeah, up through the glycolytic and into the phosphorus. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so the set, so you ascending order, uh, yeah, it depends on the threshold at which those motor units are recruited. So your type ones have got a lower threshold than your type twos. Um, so it takes less to bring them on because they come on first. Um, so, so, um, and mo- the thing is, most muscles contain type ones and type a mix of type ones and type twos. Um, so you can get a, a range of some very low to very high forces. Most muscles can produce a, a range, effectively. Um, you, uh, you mentioned whilst you whilst you were on those type of muscles fibers, you mentioned something to me the other day, which was really interesting that you'd read in some latest research that there's there's not just type one and type two. There's a there's a special. Preempting me, mate. You're preempting me. I know. Me again. I, oh, it's, 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 almost, it's almost as if I'm in your mind, Greg. Guys, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we <laughs> exactly <laughs> right. So, right, bear with, bear with. Okay, patience, patience, Jason. Um, so basically, so having this this order of recruitment, this pecking order, when you're doing some heavy resistance training, you're going to basically hypertrophy everything. So your type ones and your type twos are going to be hypertrophy, not just your type twos. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah, so so everything, everything gets bigger, which is good. Um, um, so maximal force requires recruitment of maximum number of motor units. I've said it before. Hang, hang um, on, stop, 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 stop. So that point yeah. you just made about your t- so your type ones by doing the strength training, your type ones also get bigger. So you're improving your type yeah. one fibers as well as your type two fibers, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, that that has that has significant ramifications from an aerobic perspective. So if you are an endurance athlete who uh you know, whether you're a cyclist, runner, whatever it might be, the strength training, that's why the strength training has such an important influence on that sort of exercise, because as you quite rightly say, you improve your type one fibers as well as your type two fibers. Yeah, yeah. 
There, there is a, there is a, and it will come on to an exception to that in certain circumstances, which you have to train to be able to do it, where you bypass your tight ones. I'll, I'll come to that in a second. Um, but yes, it, it, you, you, when you think, when you talk about heavy resistance training, it tends to be heavy, heavy, you're going to do things a bit slower. Mm. Okay. You just, so your tight ones will be, be re- more likely to be recruited. If you do it, if you're going fast and higher ballistic stuff, then you type, you, you can bypass your tight ones. Come to a second. Um, but there's the, what's, um, once a motor unit is recruited though, it requires less stimulation to recruit it again. So, so the neural stimulation is less as well. Now, it, it's also, you can almost think of that sort of like neural momentum. You've overcome the inertia neurally, not, 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 not figuratively, in, um, but, but neurally, you, you, you've, once, you, once it's on, it's then easy just to keep it going. Um, so, so training helps to keep the muscle recruited for longer. Effectively, so the more you train, then you can, hold, you can just recruit them for longer. So, it gives you endurance. Um, then you have so going back to what we said before, you have this selective recruitment. So it's that which is critical for when you're producing force at very high speeds. So plyometrics, you know, that sudden, you know, that sudden from a standing start, a football or a rugby player or whatever would just suddenly explode off a line and just yeah, you can you. You basically go preferentially. The brain recruits preferentially the fast switch motor units, but you need you need to train that. You can't just do that. But that, and that's where we we lose that speed and power as we get older, partly because we just don't train like that. So we don't we don't we stop doing that. Yeah, you know, I played rugby and uh, a lot when I was younger. And we did a lot of sprint stuff, a lot of sprint training. It's all part of the game. Um, but, you know, ask me to run across the road and <laughs> sprint across the road. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm second-guessing myself. So, yeah. Um, so, you, so you, need, but you need to train this, this selective recruitment. But that, that's, that's for – that's more for your – yeah, that's space-specific training. So, um, now – so let's talk. We were talking about hypertrophy, so the muscle getting bigger. Um, so as the hypertrophy occurs, what's interesting is you don't require as much neural activation. So if you, as you're getting bigger muscles, you don't need as much neural stimulation to activate the muscle for a given load, um, and that makes sense because the muscle's bigger. The mu- muscle fibers are bigger. There's more proteins. There's more s- muscle stuff doing the work. So you just know you need less mental activity to to lift up the same weight and what we then so what we see the reason we know that is because emg studies so electro electromyographic studies of of muscles have shown that actual as you get as you get bigger your emg drops you you see less muscle activity um it's quite interesting Mm. um the neuromuscular junction so the the bit where your neuron meets the muscle and they, you get this sort of transfer of neurochemicals to produce um, a, a, an activation, um, that gets bigger as well. So you basically you get more, more stuff tra- travelling across, uh, across the junction. Um, and this, this one is, really, is quite is – everyone, everyone, likes, everyone likes some free stuff. We all love free stuff, don't we? Oh, this yeah. Who doesn't stuff. like free stuff? 
muscular. Go on, what have you got then? So, so this is a neuromuscular reflex. Okay, so when you stretch a muscle, it will reflexly contract. So if you take, so if you if you're walking down the street and you slip, and your and your leg goes out from goes shoots out in front of you, your muscles are unbeknownst to you and with no control by you, they are they are being stretched and then they will reflexly contract. It's what stops us from falling over or tries to stop us from falling over. Okay, that's the reflex. So strength training enhances this and harnesses the involuntary elastic properties of the muscle and the surrounding connective tissue. So things like plyometrics just makes you more bouncy, more stretchy. Um, but, but what it does is it increases the, your, your muscular force production without any additional energy requirement. So it's free force, gives you just free energy. So being, being strong is one thing, but being flexible and, and elastic with it is, is actually even better. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so, you know, uh, um, doing jump, jumping exercises is, is, is great for that. Gives you, gives you elastic recoil and, and, and this sort of free energy. Makes yeah, it comes back to your point also about um, when you're very old. I've just we've just had an incident with my mother-in-law in hospital. She arrives at the hotel in Tenerife and trips. Well, I don't know if she tripped or whatever down down a couple of stairs. Probably bust her nose and you know face is oh, a mess. This is the sort of second time she's done it. But it, it comes back to your point about that dodgeriness that you have yeah. as well. You if you don't. If you're not doing that strength training exercise and utilizing those muscles, as you say, that sort of reactive um, force that you've just been talking about just isn't mm. isn't quite there, is it? No, no. but it's, I say, but the good thing is it's trainable. Um, you, you, you can you can you can improve it mm. uh, and keep it. Um, that's that's the thing. Um, so, uh, what? Where are we? Um, so, so, so you've got a balance or deficit, anything like that. Uh, muscular, muscular adaptations. Okay, here we go. Here we go. So, this is what most people think about with strength training. It's obviously getting bigger. So, just hypertrophy, getting bigger in size. Um, you also get what's interesting. You get a, you get a, a transition in muscle fiber types. Um, so which I'll come to in a second, um, you get increase in the biochemical components. So enzyme activity increases. Um, you also get uh, ultra increase in the ultra-structural com com uh, components. We talk about that is that, is that the connected tissue around your muscles. They can also make – they also have to adapt, and they get, they get stiffer and stronger, which makes you stronger. It, it feeds into this – so the muscle contraction, the muscle is producing the force – there's lots of other structures which are contributing to that. Yeah, it's a system, isn't it, essentially? Yeah. Yeah, well, that, that, so those ultra-structural components are then, their elasticity is improved with things like plyometrics, which, mm. which goes back to that free force. Um, so when you're looking at muscular growth, again, this is what most people think about, you know, bigger biceps in six weeks, um, is um, basically you get an increase in the protein synthesis so so you've got more proteins being added in to your uh, um, um, muscle muscle uh, muscle fibers but at the same time you're getting a reduction 
in the rate at which it's degraded. So if you don't know, um, to any of our listeners, basically our body is continually being changed. Our cells do not live for however long we live for, 80 years. We are continually, they are continually being changed. They're broken down and replenished. So our bloods, our blood, our blood cells, red blood cells, for instance, they, they live for about three months. So you can, they continue to being replaced. Our bones are continually being replaced. Muscle is continually being replaced. Um, um, so there's a, there's a, well, there's a turnover, it's a continual turnover. But as you, as you start applying um, resistance training program in the right, in the right, with the right processes in place, the synthesis, the protein added to your muscles, is greater than what's taken away. Yeah, and we touched um, on that in the aerobic um, when we were talking about the benefits of aerobic training and how it, it it sort of builds the number of mitochondria. So you've got the sort of you know the mitochondria influencing both type one and type two uh, fibers, but 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 in the type two fibers. What they're what they've found uh, latest research suggests that it's the proteins, as you as you're saying there, that actually gets increased in in that mm-hmm. mitochondria function, and so mm-hmm. that's why it's important to do both essentially because you, you you want both halves of that mitochondria functionality effectively working nicely for you. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, so. With the muscular growth, you get this the actin and myosin. Again, we've mentioned this in our in our muscle pod. Um, so these are the these are the sort of these are the bits of the proteins which attach latch it onto each other and and ratchet along and create movement within the muscle and what well, create create force which can lead to movement. Um, the number of myofibrils. So the myofibrils are the tiny little filaments of this actin and myosin, all in series. And they, they, so the microfibrils are, myofibrils, sorry, are all added up, bunched up together to form a muscle fiber. And then the muscle fibers go all added up together to give you a muscle. So the, so the number of myofibrils can increase, but not necessarily the number of muscle fibers. So you don't, you get hyperplasia of the muscle fibrils, but you don't get hyperplasia necessarily, not that we're aware of, of uh, muscle fibers. Um, so, and basically, the myofibril gets bigger. The, the proteins are added onto the onto its onto the exterior uh, of the periphery of the myofibril, so it gets thicker. Effectively, these myofibrils, <clears throat> and that leads to enlargement of the fiber. Um, and then you got lots of processes going on within the cells um, as a response to the to resistance training that sort of regulates the gene. We call the gene expression. Uh, which basically just leads to increased protein synthesis, and you get bigger muscle gets bigger. Um, and these and these the synthesis, this change in the protein synthesis again is is, is can be seen within forty eight hours, um, but it takes time to see these changes up to ten weeks uh, yeah. of trying to start to see hypertrophy. Um, so certainly more than about they reckon more than than about sixteen workouts is some sort of rough estimate. Um, and the greatest rate of change is obviously seen in the initial stages of training, and then it begins to plateau. And that's the same for, for most of these things. Um, so, um, so we talked about the 
muscle fiber type transitions, which I which is what you preempted me mm. <laughs> earlier on. So um, we've got the order of recruitment: type ones to type twos, um, and the size principle. So the all hypertrophy. Um, um, but actually what you see is that the greatest changes that occur in the type twos. Um, so, um, so the ultimate potential for hypertrophy, so how big can you get, is dependent upon how, what's your split of type one to type two in your body. So there's some people who just, who just complain they, never, they, they can't put on muscle. They've probably just got more type one than type two. Yeah, genetically, uh, that's the way they're predisposed. Yeah, yeah. So, and some people just look at a dumbbell and they get bigger. So, so, so it's uh, it just depends on on you as, as the individual. Um, but these 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 fiber type transitions. So, you got type ones, and you got type two A and type two X. Now, type two A tends to be more is like a halfway house between a type two out and out power, nothing else, or or, or force production and your type one which is more endurance so type 2a can be a bit of both so it gives you strength with endurance if that makes sense mm. but then you have this type thing called the type 2x now back in my day there was no it was never type 2x it was type 2b but they've, they've renamed it type 2x and what they've worked out is that this constitutes a reservoir of fibers that can transition to the more oxidative or aerobic type 2A with training. So in our system, you've got these type 2s, which are type 2As, but there's there's this other pool of type 2Xs, which could be, with training, a type 2A. I think that's that's quite fascinating, actually. Yeah, that's... Yeah. So you so effectively your muscle is will will not only get bigger, but you can change its its the quality of its of its of its can change its the way it functions in a way. Which is um Well it just it just goes to show how adaptable um it is subject to training. Mm. Um yeah. It's the, and the, it's the capacity. It's the capacity to change. Yeah, is what I suppose what I'm trying to get at. But um, obviously, if you stop training, they then switch back to being type two axes. Um, and there, but there isn't much evidence for for going from switching from type two to type one, or type one to type two. Now, back in a few pods, we talked about there's there was an experiment they did on cats. De- decades ago, basically, they, they took the, the they, they they took the nerve supply in the calf of a cat. So your gastrocnemius and your soleus are two main muscles in your calf, and, you, and one's tight. One is more fast. One is more postural, and one is more um, power based or uh, fo- increased force based. So the gastrocnemius is your type more of your type two, um, or demonstrates more type two character- characteristics, and the soleus is the type one. If you swap the nerve supply. So you swap the gastroc for the sleeves and the sleeves for the gastroc, they start functioning differently. So this idea, you, there's very little evidence to support transitioning from a type 2 to a type 1 or type 1 to type 2, seems again sort of supports the evidence that 
the, the fiber type is an expression of the motor neuron or the brain effectively. Mm. So the brain tells that muscle fiber to be a type two or a type one. Um, so that's another, another amazing example of the mind body connection, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Which we, 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 we can't, we can't say, right, you're going to, you can't consciously think you're going to be a type one. Your type one's, yeah, it's, it's all happening at a, at a subconscious level. Um, but um, there is some adaptation based on, you know, that intent and how you train, so consciously training differently um, to produce a muscle which works in a, in a slightly different way. Um, so what you, what we see is the the – one of the benefits of anaerobic training or strength so strength training um, is you substantially reduce the muscle uh, and blood pH. So you basically make it more acidic. And that's, you make it more acidic because you're increasing the amount of, of, um, of hydrogen ions being produced um, as a result of the, as a result of the, the, the metabolic demands. And yet they, but it's not being flushed away as quickly as with the aerobics. It sits around the system much more. Um, but as a result of that, you, the, if, you, if you do this often enough, with, so with training, your brain learns to adapt to that new higher levels of, of, of acid, and it starts to buffer it better. So you can tolerate those higher levels. And that's the sort of lactic acid tolerance mm. we've, we've mentioned before. So you start to push that up. You can actually tolerate those, those hydrogen ions or the volume of hydrogen ions um, um, for longer. So you get delayed fatigue, greater muscle endurance. Yeah, it, um, I mean, it's, it's interesting because whether you're talking about aerobic or, or, or the anaerobic, more strength type stuff, you know, t- people talk about zones and you can you know measure the zones on whether it's heart rate or whether it's lactate or whatever it might be, but they, they are flexible. They kind of shift and move and you can push them around a little bit depending on your training. Um, yeah. you know, you're not, you're not stuck with it at a, at a particular point. No, not at all. Um, but, um, you also get, um, the, the, go back to the ATP, and the creatine uh, phosphate, which is this sort of uh, the enzyme which helps to re- put your ADP back into an ATP, and it's keep cycling around. You got your, you get increased amount of storage for that. So, um, and it sort of makes sense. You've got more muscle volume. You've got more place. You've got more storage facilities for your for your creatine and your adenosine triphosphate. Um, so you can do things more. <laughs> um, and the same thing for glycogen. So a bigger muscle can just store more sugars. Mm. Um, makes sense. So that's, that's all your muscle stuff. Um, but there are other things to consider. Um, so your bone, connective tissue, cartilage, that's all really important as well. Because you know, when you're, these, the, the muscles are producing the force, that's what you have conscious control on, over. You don't have conscious control over the bone, the connective tissue, or the cartilage, or at least those structures, the passive structures, which aren't contractile, they have no say in the load that's going through them. They just react to the load that's going through them. But as a muscle gets stronger, it's putting more load through them. So they have to adapt. Um, so as the muscle increases, as the muscle uh, gets bigger, so too must all the other tissues. Uh, which obviously has has significant um, 
um, benefits for someone who's wanting to prevent osteoporosis, uh, particularly in, in women. Um, so weight training early on in your life, yes, starting in your 20s and 30s, ideally, um, uh, rather than leaving it um, till don't, well, if you're osteoporotic already, do some bloody weight training. Um, but um, it's best prevention is better than cure. Um, but um, so, so low to mo- but low to moderate intensities do not markedly change collagen in connective tissue. It has been shown. Uh, so it has to be high. So high, high, high levels of effort. All right. That's 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 really interesting for any midlife athlete women who are listening to this and who may be borderline um, worried about osteoporosis, that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. You can start um, doing some heavy, heavy loading. Yeah. Um, but things, you know, things like running, um, if you, if you're a runner then the, the forces involved there are very high. Um, so, um, yeah, the, the peak, the peak forces are high. So, you know, three times your body weight when you land on one leg when you're running. So, um, but obviously, strength training as well uh, is 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 um is going to be added benefit um for, for not only for for bone health but for for everything um so, but but this this um strength conditioning manual is is suggesting that forces should be through full range of movement and involve multiple joint exercises where possible so cycling and running is fine great ex great exercises but you want to be thinking about doing much well stuff that you wouldn't think would be related or un- stuff that which is unrelated you know sort of overhead press and and pull-ups and things like that um to 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 work your muscles and joints through full range of movement um what's it you know obviously you know from, from uh as we get older we just <clears throat> what i've noticed about my knees is they they make noises which i never used to hear <laughs> <laughs> i can hear my joints a lot more um uh, so this brings us on neatly to cartilage. <laughs> um, so um, basically, those within it's taking your knee, for instance. Yeah, we're all, we're all worried about our knees um, as we get older. But so we, but basically, there's two different types of cartilage in your knee. For instance, there's the meniscal cartilage, which is similar to what you have in the end of your nose or your ear. So it's squidgy. And that does act like a cushion. Then you have this stuff called the hyaline cartilage, which is the smooth, hard um, cartilage over the top of the bones, the ends of the bones. So when two bones meet, well, the bones don't meet, you've got, you've got this layer of cartilage. Mm. So if you look at an X-ray, you'll see a space between um, the two bones, or you should do at least. Um, that's not really a space. That's just that's hyaline cartilage. It's just radio translucent you don't don't doesn't show up on x-rays but what you see with a degenerative joint is that thinning of the cartilage so the bones start getting closer together so but the thing about this cartilage what's interesting about this hyaline cartilage is that it has no blood supply it's living tissue but it has no direct blood supply so what it needs is the is the synovial fluid in all our in our joints so hips knees fingers jaw you know all these muscles all these joints right has this synovial fluid which is this lubricant but in it are the nutrients for the cartilage 
So movement, so, so, so you move a joint, you're washing this cartilage over the joint. Um, you're washing this cartilage with this on over your fluid. And, that, and, that, and then if you're the compression of the joint through force or by muscular contractions and force pushes this fluid into the cartilage and basically gives it its nutrients that it needs. So what the implication for that is, you know, you get injured and you break a, break a bone break your ankle you're in plaster for six, six weeks what what we're seeing is degeneration of the cartilage because you're not moving it you're not washing that that cartilage mm. cartilage with sonovial fluid and you can get degeneration now it can pick itself back up um it can return but that rate that that ability to repair it just diminishes as we get older um but so this idea of wear and tear or your joints wearing out and this thing, you know, running the bad for your knees, your knees will wear out. It's like, well, no, it's the opposite. Actually, there's, there's, there's you know, research you showing that developing osteoarthritis is because you don't use your joints, because you're not washing this fluid around the whole of the joint. And which then goes on to say, well, we should be exercising through full range of movement. You know, squats are just not, you know, half squats are fine, but if, if anything, we should be trying to do deep squats and full range of elbow flexion extension, full range of shoulder movements, full range of trunk rotations, you know, to allow the joints to be as healthy as possible and all and that, tissues to be as healthy. And that doesn't have to be, I mean, the, the, the forces that can be applied to help there doesn't, it, you don't have to be like heavy forces with a weight, right? You could... You could just do some body weight exercises like a yoga, a form of yoga where you're, you know, balancing yeah. or Pilates or whatever it might yeah. be. I mean, I mean, going into something like a down, like a child's pose, mm. you know, for your knee, you know, you, you're taking that your knees into full flexion you're, and, and your hips into full flexion. So you're washing this fluid around your joints, um, but but through full range of movement, yeah, and 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 it also comes on to implications for, um, I mean. If, stretching is patients always ask me about stretching and I'm, it's a bit it's very contentious about how much um stretching you should do and um and yeah it all it, it effectively comes down to duration of it, how long you hold the stretch for how often you're stretching um so the, the volume of stretching you're doing plus the technique you're using to, so that's really important but for me the most important thing is to, to, well, one thing to consider is if you're exercise, if you're doing a bicep curl and you're and you're taking your bicep through a through through a full range of movement, you're taking your tricep, the agonist, through its full range of movement. So you're giving it a stretch. So you're, for every act for every action in your body, there is a reciprocal lengthening of another muscle somewhere else. So if you're going to think about stretching, yes, fine. But actually, being doing strength training through full range of movement will give you a degree of flexibility. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it makes complete sense. So, it makes complete sense. So, what, what what this what this means is going back to this um, to as we're getting older, and you see how how old people just don't have that coordination. They tend to be doddery, very unstable. They're sort of walking around holding onto furniture because they don't have that stability. They just, they have, they don't have, lose, they're losing coordination and, and control. They're losing 
their ability to to contract and relax through a full range of movement. Now they're not they're losing strength ultimately. Their I say across their knee, their quads and their hamstrings. They 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 can move them only a little bit because their muscles can only produce force concentrically and eccentrically through a small range. If if it can't if a muscle can't produce the requisite force over concentrically or eccentrically, it'll go isometric, which gives you stability, but it doesn't give you quality control. It just gives you st- stability to a point. You then get this co-contraction across the joint. So your quads and hamstrings are, are working together to hold your knee still. But again, it doesn't give you flexibility or agility mm. or, or strength through range to allow you to put your leg out and stop yourself from falling over. They just sort of totter, 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 fall over. That's it. Hip gone. You know. So maintaining strength through full range of movement as we get older is key absolutely key for 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 everything um so but we've um we're almost at the end almost at the end do you need a cup of tea no i don't i'm just it's interesting well it's interesting what you're saying about getting older because um I think, you know, we've, we've talked about collagen and muscles before in previous episodes when we've interviewed guests and I, I've, I've written um, a, a post, a Substack post for us. But it, I, I, dug, this, I dug, dug some stats out again because um, I, I knew we were going to record this. And so we lose, we lose muscle mass roughly. We lose about 0.5 to 1% a year as we age, right? And, and we lose... Yeah. The strength that we lose is about double that, and the power yeah. is is triple that. Um, the loss of strength, yeah, yeah. So, so it's it's um, it, it's quite significant. So, you know, when you're talking about that full range of movement and, and the effects when when you're older age, you can start to see the compounding nature of unless we do some strength training and unless we make an intervention um you know the rate of decline is 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 quite significant um yeah yeah which comes back well, to the importance of gym, talk about, isn't it well it is it is but um i mean the thing is that that all the stuff i've i've been talking about today is really pretty much age not even age specific yeah totally it's, it's, this is this is what happens whether you're nine or ninety six. Yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't matter. This is what happens to your body. You get, you know, I'm, I was going to go on to talk about endocrine responses, so hormone responses, and <laughs> shock. <laughs> it gets better <laughs> with training, you know. So you know, um, uh, our cardiovascular response, yeah, with anaerobic training, it also improves. Um, so, the, the, but, the, but age is a little bit, we, I've, I've tacked on to the end and say, well, we have to, there's, there's certain things to consider. Yes. Yes. It is sort of a, a, a down, it is, does, it does go downhill, but the rate at which it goes downhill is sort of within our, within our control. Um, and it's, it's, it's important not to, not to think about the inevitability of it. It's just because you, we can. It's still so adaptable, even when you're older or old. It's still adaptable massively. Well, we talked. We, 
<laughs> so we t- we talked before um, we came on air, didn't we, about the, this study, um, which sort of suggests that that actually um, we don't we don't actually lose as we age muscle fibers. We don't lose the fibers. Um, it all comes back to um, really they're just just they're just reducing size. Yeah, but but what? Yeah, exactly. So we've always, you know, thought, well, you lose muscle mass, okay. And there was a point with it. I, I always thought you'd lost muscle fibers, you would lose them. Um, and and it seems I'm wrong in, in as much as certainly if this 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 recent study is anything to go by, um, you, you tight ones don't really change that much. Mm. They will get if you don't exercise, they'll get smaller. Yeah. But your type twos, you don't you don't really lose your type twos, either, but the, it, it's the type it's the loss of power or loss of size of your type twos, which is ultimately key and 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 age and it's the age related. What's the key component of the age age related changes? So what and this this is you sent me that link before we came on air, so I've stuck tacked on the end of my notes here because that is it's sort of reframed what, what we want to put across in today's episode is that yes, strength training, but yeah, for God's sake, do some strength training, but, but power is, is key. It's the loss of power as we get older, which is, which is the key age difference. And, but the, but the fact that you're tight, what, from what this, what this study is saying, if it, and if this study is what it's saying is true, we don't really lose muscle fibers, which is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely brilliant. We don't lose any of it. We just we just we just lose our ability to to wake that muscle and to use that muscle. Totally. But it's re- it is reversible to a degree. It, it all comes down to function, and function is it, we can do something about that. Yeah, and that's that's fantastic. We, we will lose power um, as we go. We we do. It does go down, but. You know, it's it's just like you know, rage against the dimming of the light. You know, keep on 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 resisting that, and and you'll reap the benefits. And it, and it's and it's so it's, it's wonderful to hear that. When I, when I when I saw that, it was just oh my god, that's brilliant. I, I knew I knew your face would light up. Uh, one of the things <laughs> one of the things I wanted to ask you, and I'm sure probably listeners are probably thinking the same thing. I know you, you've done a whole bunch of different strength stuff. And I, I know you enjoy it, and I know that um, you know you get a lot. You get a lot from it, not not least because it rolls into, into into what you do in your day job. But knowing what we know about um, the strength and the power decline, knowing that we you know that we can do something about that, what what sort of exercises would you suggest we do? Um, as, as as midlife athletes, well, when you do plyometrics, I mean that's uh, the, the the speed stuff and 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 power, as we mentioned before, speed, agility, power, uh, plyometrics. That's all very important. So you, you're talking about shifting a load at at high speed. Okay, so if you if you're going for your one RM deadlift, you're going to be doing things a bit slower. Um, so if you're going to be looking at, at strength training 
you've got to be th- looking at a component of that being power power based, so plyometrics. But I would, but I would always say if I'm taking when I'm taking any client, whether they're young or old, into a plyometric stage of their rehab, um, they have to have been performing strength training for at least, well, sorry, they would have to be pain free for about six weeks. That's what I wouldn't have expected them to be able to do. Um, well, that's the, that's the guidelines. Um, but also, um, they were, they're, not, they're coming into any sort of strength training fresh. I'm not going to suddenly give them box jumps and, and, and leaping and bounding if they haven't done any strength training beforehand. So you need a baseline of strength training um, before you start hitting the, the, the power-based stuff. Um but um, and that's and that's where if you, if you're unsure, the, you just need to go. You need to, you need to find a professional who's going to be able to coach you through it all to to make sure you're doing things correctly, um, and to put a program together for you because your your program will be will have its individual and unique needs compared to the next person. But I would say is that that you need your base. The eighty twenty rules you have polarized training, but polarized training within strength training is that. Get your get your get some strength there. Get some get some um, uh, strength training processes in place, so that when you go for power, speed, agility, whatever it might be, you, you you're gonna you're gonna be you're gonna have strength to deliver it and to train and adapt, but with reduced risk of injury. And how many times how many times a week do you reckon we should be we should be doing? It? Have you given any thought to that? And I know, I know, I know you enjoy it, so you might do it pretty much most days. But, but what do you what do you think? It's uh, it's interesting in terms of. Um, I would say, I mean, three three times a week. The guidelines are twice a week, minimum. But I I, I would be I would be doing three times a week. But you can you can split it. You can do different types of exercise or across do different types of resistance training across those across those days um and certainly as i get older my my training has changed my i i'm quite i'm a bit of a bit of an exercise butterfly i like trying different stuff out all the time I, my probably my i don't stick to one thing for love but long enough um but good because I, I quite enjoy just trying stuff out because that, that relates to me with my clients and being able to um, teach them um, stuff um, which might keep, which keeps them interested effectively. Um, but at least twice a week, at least twice a week, get into the habit. Yeah. But what you could, you could do, the thing is you could do quite a high intensity strength training of your arms, let's say in 10 minutes. You don't have to spend an hour on it. You can actually, you can actually do, you know, some, some, you know, produce, start producing hypertrophy in, in a muscle with very li- minimal input. Mm. Yeah, you, know, you work out your your um, one RM and then go to seventy percent of that and do your seven to eight reps, or whatever you know, whatever the guidelines are, and you know, in order to start producing hypertrophy, you can get that done in ten minutes and do that two or three times a week, and you'll start getting bigger. Now. You'll end up with massive biceps and everything else is true. But, <laughs> but, but my point being that you, you can you can be you can get you can do intense exercise 
on a body part or a particular type of exercise and get and see results quite quickly. So, yeah, um, yeah time we're not we're not as time crunched as we thought. Which, and there's something also about you know I know you you say that you're you're a bit of an exercise butterfly, but actually, if you if you think back to when we interviewed Joe Eisenman. Um, mm. who was all about things like what you've just been talking about, the importance of strength. and But he, if you recall, like he was just, he was almost like the ultimate butterfly. He was constantly swapping and changing his his routines. And I think he, had, he, had, he had some basics, which he would He did have some basics. He did have some basics. Fundamentals. So yeah. Yeah, like, like a, a compound pu- pushing and pulling exercises for, for upper limb and lower limb. Uh, so that's four different types of exercise there. Plus there was a I can't remember what the fifth one was. But you would get that in somewhere along the line. So it could be pull-ups on one day, but you might be using a TRX type thing the next uh, on a dip, on another day, on another week, and it will get. So that will be his 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 upper limb. Um, uh, uh, shortening program rather than rather than a pushing program. So, yeah. So, I suppose I suppose I'm a bit more like that. I I I, I, I like trying stuff out and and seeing because because for me it's a, a bit of an exploration about what my body is capable of doing and thinking. Christ, I am weak in that in that component. I am weak in that range of movement. I can't do that, and I should be able to, or I want to be able to do that, and. And, and I'm not saying I'm 56. I shouldn't be. I shouldn't be doing that. It's like, right, let's see if I can do it. And I'm 56. Yeah. Well, you're you're working on your neurological connections, right? That, yeah, yeah. That way. Yeah. Which, yeah. I, which I which I really love. Which I really yeah. Love. Yeah. So, so that strength training, yeah. massive oh, no, benefits. There's, there's one more bit. There's one more bit. There's, I think it's quite it's quite important. Um, it's so. Talks about the aerobic and anaerobic compatibility. So some people who say, and you probably, I probably heard it, and you probably heard it. Well, I'm a, I'm a runner. If I, if I do weights, I, I, it'll, it'll detract from my running, and vice versa. And you're laughing, so I presume you've heard that. Before. Well, I mean, yeah, we have. Of course, we have. We've all heard that. And 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 because yeah, the anaerobic and the and the aerobic training has sort of divergent physiological responses you know you sort of you're working at sort of two ends of a of that of that spectrum but most most studies show no adverse effects on aerobic power um and some and, and it's the same for resistance training um hindering vo2 max there's no there's nothing to show that that's the case i think it's the opposite um, actually greg i think there's some studies now coming through that shows that if you do some strength training um that uh, it has a benefit um yeah and i think yeah, that well, comes back to your point about the fact that this is a system so actually yes you're 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 uh you're working the muscles but you're also working that system that we have around the muscles um you know the mm-hmm. ligaments the joints that you know car- all, all, all of that sort of stuff um seems to suggest that it that it that it helps um and i think there's some been some studies in 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 cyclists recently i think um i think there's some runners as well but certainly that i've seen i've seen um studies in uh, to do with cyclists yeah but basically i so i 
quote a quote from this um, um, strength and conditioning um, textbook so says the majority of research indicates that heavy resistance training has very limited, if any, negative effects on aerobic power, but instead can serve to actually enhance performance in endurance sports. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. I think, I mean, it's, I mean, people still still think that way. You know, we, we talk about, you know, in the last podcast about how they still think about the aerobic systems. I think slowly it's starting to see it creep through, but you're absolutely right. It has massive, um, uh, massive ramifications. And I've just, I've just, you know, and you can see it noticeably within yourself as well. If you're a runner or a cyclist, if you embark on that piece of strength training, um, admittedly, as you say, it's, it, it takes a while to sort of, you do see some benefits, you know, quite, quite quickly. And that will translate through into, into your aerobic stuff. No question. Mm -hmm. Mm. Um, yeah, it's just—it's not separate components. They're all part of this one sort of continuum. Yeah, and so they, there is a—it's a blending, and and it, 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 you have to. Got, we've got to cover all the bases. We can't just do one and not the other. Um, so it's um, yeah, it's important that we have a balance, much better balance. Yeah, and we could right. probably lose a little bit of aerobic training. For those people who are like, no, I'm a runner, I'm a, I'm a cyclist, or whatever it might be, they could probably do with losing a little bit of that, without really losing any of their sort of aerobic capacities that they're worried about by adding well, the aerobic performance. performance. Yes, the aerobic sorry, performance. The aerobic performance. Yeah. You're right. Um, so, so yeah. Um, so, so listeners, um, you can find our stuff on the usual uh, places where you get your podcasts, but you can also find our stuff on Substack. We, we write some blogs out there. Each episode is um, there's a, there's a summary, which is free. And then there's a, there's some detailed notes, uh, which I shall be awaiting, waiting from Greg on strength training uh, to, uh, to add up the Substack. So yeah, subscribe whichever way you like. Um, and um, hope you enjoyed it. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks everyone.